millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror Podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. Today we bring you a three-part special inspired by the anniversary of the Battle of Trafalgar of 1805, which of course falls in October each year. If you are interested in Horatio Nelson and the Battle of Trafalgar, then do please go back into our back catalogue, hunt through it, and you'll find several fascinating episodes. There are eyewitness accounts of the battle, a special episode looking in particular at Nelson's wounds, which is very gory and absolutely extraordinary, and a lovely little episode on HMS Pickle, the vessel that raced back to England with news of Nelson's great victory. Now, I'm lucky enough to have visited HMS Victory down in Portsmouth on several, uh, perhaps many is a better word, occasions. It truly is a remarkable place, and I've always been most impressed with the wonderful tour guides they have there. They are hugely knowledgeable, entertaining, and always extremely good company. One of their team, the brilliant Tony Noon, got in touch with me over the summer to show me a copy of the Trafalgar Times, a quarterly newsletter on all things relating to Nelson and the Sailing Navy that he and others have produced at Portsmouth. I was so impressed that I cooked up a plan to bring you an audio tour of HMS Victory, which starts today. First, a little background. Best known for her role in the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, in which Horatio Nelson died, the Victory now has a dual role as the flagship of the First Sea Lord and as a living museum to the Georgian Navy. Now, to give you some sense of the visitor experience of HMS Victory, we're going on a tour! This special will be divided into three episodes. The first will look at the lowest two decks, the hold and the orlop deck, both below the waterline. The second episode will look at the gun decks where the sailors lived and fought Victory's 104 guns. And episode three will look at everything open to the elements, the weather deck, the quarter deck, the poop deck and the forecastle. 
The tour guide Tony Noon will be taking us around, but with us also came Rosie Thornber, Principal Heritage Advisor for HMS Victory, who kept us up to date on the phenomenal conservation project that they currently have underway. A once-in-a-lifetime project with an army, well, I should say navy, of craftsmen, conservators, engineers and shipwrights who are working to fight the impact of moisture, fungus and pests that threaten her and to keep her safe for the next 50 years. So please come on board and join myself, Tony and Rosie in the dark hold of HMS Victory. Um, so Tony, here we are in the, um, well tell us what deck are we on? It's certainly dark and it's quite smelly. So we're in the hold now of HMS Victory. We're actually standing on a walkway that's been put in for the general public so this walkway wouldn't have been here. Um, and it's essentially all the supplies and the stores for the ship are stored down here. You've got a sample of section of barrels here on uh, towards the fore end of the ship. Um, these barrels will actually come all the way across to the sides of the ship and pretty much up to head height. Where we're standing, we've probably got about six feet above us and there's about another 20 feet below us. So there's 21 foot of storage space in this section alone. Um, and these barrels everything you need for six to eight months supplies at sea. So 60 tonnes of salted beef, 60 tonnes of salted pork, 300 or so tonnes of water. You're looking at 11,000 gallons of beer down here. And then of course, everything else you need to keep a ship fighting and seaworthy. Yeah, these barrels are all in they're different sizes, aren't they? There's a, I, I suppose it's a small mountain of barrels for those who can't see them. Um, so different size, were they used for different, um, different objects? Yes, so water, beer, and then they get in your salted beef and your salted pork. And, and uh, we'd also store paint down here in the aft hold because um, you still need to keep the ship looking nice, mm. but also paint is protective for the wood as well. Um, yeah, and so we've got some um, gravel here as well. Is that um, part of it? Would that be in the ballast? So we've got two sections of ballast. So if we're looking down into the hold, there's a section completely exposed to the floor of the hold. Um, and we can see there's actually some black iron bars about a foot long. Um, and that's just cheap pig iron. And there's 257 tons of pig iron that run along the length of the keel. Wow. Um, that corresponds to the weight of the guns above pretty much, but it also helps correct uh, the list of Victory. So when Victory was launched, she had a list to one side. So this pig iron helps to, to counteract yeah. um, the list, the natural list of the ship. And then over the top of that, we have another 200 tonnes of shingle, which again is ballast. Um, so if the ship's leaning a bit, just a little bit to the left or the right, you need to trim the ship. You can then just take bucketfuls of the ballast of the shingle and move it to where you need to balance the ship correctly. But the second point of the ballast, because of all the barrels and all the stores you have down here, if you don't have the barrels bedded into something, they're going to roll through the ship in rough weather, etc. So you can actually bed the barrels, the bottom layer of barrels, halfway up into the shingle, and you're building almost like pyramids of barrels on top of each other, layer by layer by layer, coming up all the way pretty much to the deck head or the ceiling um, above us here. Mm. Amazing stuff. And uh, how far down below the waterline are we here? So we're only a few feet ourselves below the waterline, but there's actually 28 feet of ship all the way from the waterline to the very bottom of the false keel underneath. So it's just over 28 feet draft in total. So all of this whole supplies, this cavernous space that you're looking at would have been completely filled with supplies and it's all underwater. Yeah. We also have our shot lockers down here. There are two shot lockers. It's like a, a large bin with flaps on it. Um, and there's on two sides around the mainmast. 
and there's one around the foremast as well. So around this main mast one here, we've got 80 tonnes of shot stored in that one alone. Should uh, we go and have a look? Yep. And we've got all the different types there. Oh, we're just going through a, a piece, an area here, taking a, a rope away. I feel very privileged. <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, this is the shot locker that, that Tony was just describing. And here are some shots. I mean, how many shots have we got down there? Uh, oh, I don't know what the exact number is. 80 tonnes. So at Trafalgar, Victory fired 28 tonnes of shot in four and a half hours, which out of a total of 120 tonnes, so she still had plenty left, although she was pretty battered by that stage. Um, 28 tonnes, it's like three and a half thousand rounds of shot she fired. Right. Just over. Um, so... I couldn't give you the maths of that. And how do you get this up to the to the gun deck? So you're literally just carrying them one by one? Yeah, so uh, above us on each side of the shot lockers, so next to the bin lid here, where we can look up through the ship. Yep. Got so we're looking up ways. through the gratings here up yep. to the deck above. So we can take these gratings, go all the way up to the very top of the ship, um, to the quarter deck and the waist. So we can take the gratings out, and then you literally lower uh, rope net baskets ah. down to here. Guys in here will put the shot into those, they'll be hauled up to the, to the decks that, that that size shot is required on, and then there'll be guys on the decks to take it from the net baskets, uh, the rope baskets, sorry, um, and then place them into the shot garlands around the ship on the required decks. And obviously that's continuously going on through the battle. So slightly back-breaking work, but you're kind of safe down here, aren't you? A little bit. We know of some ships that took damage below the waterline at Trafalgar and after the battle Victory had something like about 190 tonnes of water extra that had come in through the sides of the various damaged parts of the ship. So there would have been a lot extra water down here towards the end of the battle. But you're a lot safer, especially compared to the upper decks of Victory where the most casualties were taken at Trafalgar. Yeah, very good. Uh, fascinating stuff, Tony. Let's walk along to the aft hold so we'll be able to peek through. Yeah, uh, most people don't realize it's here so that the the hold of victory is set into two sections um, as we go back towards the aft of the ship we have a wall here that separates the two and there's a little window just down here through the netting you can look i'm gonna have it. to uh, kneel down we've um, the ceiling's got much lower and um right okay and so this is a, a dark area i can see the footings of the mizzen mast there Yep, uh, it's only, I mean, the window we're looking through is only about, you know, a foot square. Um, but you can see in the hold, because it's the aft part of the, the hold of the ship, you can see how it actually starts to rise up. And that's generally drier um, than the rest of the ship. So things like uh, your bread, you know, your flour, anything that needs to be kept drier than the rest of the stores is all put in this aft part of the hold here. Um, wow. But as I said, most people miss it because it's just this tiny little window to look through. And as you said, we're kneeling down now. To, to peer through the netting. Yeah, braced by a couple of bits of scaffolding. What's going on there? Uh, yeah, so obviously the ship's had a lot of movement issues um, and settling issues over the years with the old cradle. Um, and this has helped supporting the ship while the work's being undertaken now to reinforce her. The new cradle underneath is finished, um, but that's actually helping to brace her while the rest of the work continues for the next however many years. Now, obviously, this would have been very, very dark down here. We've got some uh, artificial lanterns. So how would this have been lit? So, yeah, they would bring the lanterns down as they need them. Um, and how do they, what were the lanterns? They were just a tallow candle? Yeah, so lanterns, tallow candles. You've got a, a metal framework with slats in it. And then you have your, your thin sheaf of horn inside, which is how they get the name, name lanterns. And the thin sheaf of horns inside just allow the light to spread, but obviously reduces the immediate fire risk. But it would have been very damp, very smelly down here because obviously all the water that leaks in through the ship, um, whether through the gun ports or through battle damage or just through rain and sprays, it comes down, 
comes down through the shingle, which almost acts like a filter, and then the water collects around the bilge pumps. But of course, all the dirt and detritus and horrible stuff. So it's going to be very, very fragrant, to say the least. <laughs> fragrant, I like. Well, brilliant. Let's, let's see if we can move up a deck. Uh, so we're walking uh, towards the bows now and then up a companionway ladder. So we're taking ourselves up to another deck, um, but also one which is still below the waterline. Yes, still, be still below the waterline here. Just undo the ropes. Okay, so this feels much more lived in. What, what, what is this? So we're at the front end of the ship here on the all-up deck, which is short for overlapping deck. Um, and at this end of the ship, we actually have the various compartments for things like the carpenter and the other warrant officers like the bosun, for example. But we also have two passages here in front of us, the very centre line of the ship. There are two passages with large heavy rings and bolts on them. These will be locked at all times, apart from when you're fighting or loading gunpowder mm -hmm. um, or practicing. And this captain would release the, the keys for this. The left-hand one leads down to the light room. So in the grand magazine below us, there's 35 tonnes of gunpowder stored down there. But obviously, you've got to be very careful with the fire and gunpowder. They don't go together very well. So this one here, there's a inside the grand magazine. There's a small room um, with blast shutters on and glass protective panels and the lights are lowered into that room. So this one, left-hand column passage, takes you through to there. And the right-hand passage here takes you through to the magazine itself. And again, heavily locked, heavily bolted doors. Um, marine guards at all times. Uh, there's a, a zinc tray that lines the bottom of each of these passages. That'll be filled with an inch and a half of water during battle or during movement of gunpowder. So any specks of gunpowder are washed off through, from the, uh, the sailors uh, shoes and, and feet etc so we're not traipsing gunpowder around the ship as well and we also one of these corridors also leads to the small arms and the armory at the very front of the ship because obviously you don't want the general crew having access to the armory when, when they don't need to so that would lead through here as well on the right of this cabin here we've got the carpenter's cabin um, William Bunce was the carpenter at Trafalgar you'll notice we've got lanterns again but the lanterns are set just outside the room with a, a little glass uh, panel that allows the lanthorn to shine light into the room because if you're working with wood you're going to have lots of sawdust highly flammable uh, material combustible material so by keeping the light outside of the room then it, it reduces the risk of My fire. brain was slowly struggling to work out what the point of that would have been, but obviously um, it, it'll go up, won't it? Yeah. But the other thing to note at Trafalgar, um, the carpenter on board Victory at Trafalgar was William Bunce. Um, he was six foot seven. <laughs> uh, for those obviously you can't see on the podcast, yeah. I'm on a good day, I'm five foot ten and a half, and that's a very good day. My shoulders are just reaching the lower beams, so my head's hitting the ceiling. Well, not here. many people know this, but I am in fact six foot seven, and I'm finding it very <laughs> difficult indeed to be here. Um, and uh, just one carpenter? You can't just have had one carpenter. Yeah, he's got one carpenter, and then he's got his mates with him, carpenter's mates with him as well, so there they assist him. All of this, it's important to note as well, because we're below the waterline, all of the various cabins that are on this deck, there's actually walkways behind all of the cabins. Um, so if there is damage, rather than having to empty the contents of the cabin to get to the hull, there's actually a clear passage to the hull on the entire level of this deck. Mm. So we can go around this side and you can have a peer down. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So we've got ourselves a protected uh, gated passageway here. And you can actually look down, and now we're looking at, like, on the right-hand side, we're looking at the starboard side of the hull, yeah. on the inside, obviously. And then on the left-hand side, we're looking at the back of the cabins. So you've got these carpenters' walks all the way around on this ship, on this level, on the all-up deck. So again... So just to give you access to the hull if there's a problem? Yes, mm. yeah. You can inspect twice a day the carpenter would as well, just to make sure for checkings. And also, obviously, you do your checkings of your bilge water levels and stuff as well. Um, but yeah, it's just for, for ease of access, although... I mean, it's probably, what, four, maybe five foot wide? Yeah. Um, not exactly a lot of space for working in to fix a hull. No. Um, and also makes you realise how difficult the job of being a carp ship's carpenter would be. Um, there is a great deal of timber here, and almost none of it is a straight angle or a straight line. It's all kind of beautifully curved, very organic, it feels. Yeah, I mean, you know, they say 6,000 trees for the building of Victory. Um, the Admiralty, on average, are building one every roughly every six to seven years. Obviously, that ramps up in wartime and slows down in peacetime. Um, and you're looking for the shapes in the trees, so the, the, the ship's knees, um, so you've got the beam that comes up at a right angle that helps support the deck above and come into the side of the hull, so it's like an, an a inverted L shape effectively. You're looking for that shape in the tree when you're cutting it down, so you've got the trunk will be coming up to form part of it, and where the branch comes out, that gives you the L shape for where you're cutting. So you do have quite a bit of wastage on the trees. But you are looking, yeah, 6,000 trees or so. Amazing. Right, let's carry on down. So we're going down one of these carpenter's walkways. Um, there's some grating on the right with some of the biggest ropes I've ever seen in my entire life. So we've got the, the cable locker here. So this is where the anchor cables come. We are on rope, we're not on iron yet. So these are, these are rope ones. We actually carry 14 different ropes for the anchors as required different uh, thicknesses. The smallest ones are seven inches diameter. Um, and the uh, sorry, seven inches circumference. Sorry, seven inches circumference. The largest ones are twenty-three and a half inches circumference. I mean, they're the size of, a, of the of the um, uh, the trunk of a small tree. Yes, yeah, it's just colossal, and they're hundred feet. Uh, 100 fathoms long, 600 feet long. Yeah. Think something like a silver birch. That's roughly how big these things are. And I mean, and uh, almost impossible to pick up unless you've got a very large amount of people. Yeah. So I mean, dry. It's about five tons. Where you're looking possibly as much as seven or eight tons if it's been in the water, the largest ones for a long time. Um, to bring the main anchor on Victory, and she carries seven anchors, but to bring the main anchor on board from a full cable length, 
you're looking at somewhere close to 400 of the crew in total. You've got 260 men just on the capstan. Um, so around about 400 of the crew, somewhere between four and four and a half hours to bring the full length up. Mm. Amazing. Amazing they could actually even conceive of doing something like that, let alone do it. And then they probably could do it under pressure as well. Yeah, it's a well-practiced task. You obviously have the options of slipping and cutting the anchor. So if you are caught by the surprise, by surprise, you can't ask the French to just hold on for four and a half hours, guys, while we bring the anchor up. So cutting the anchor is, as they say, it's literally cutting that 23 and a half inch circumference. I mean, I no, how would you cut that? I mean, I have no idea. You need a, a saw. Yeah, if you've got a little bit more time, you can slip the anchor, which is where you put it onto a smaller rope with a float on you can sail off and then hopefully if you win the battle or survive you can come back the float will tell you where the anchor is obviously very very valuable things anchors you can't just be leaving them willy-nilly how, yes. many, how many anchors on so board seven anchors ranging from quarter of a ton the kedge anchor the smallest one up to the largest which is around about four and a half tons and we carry two identical copies of that one because if you lose that one that's the one that's going to stop us in the worst storm um, so you need a spare copy yeah. of that one spare of the biggest one that's 16 and a half tons of anchors in total wow Amazing. Um, right, let's carry on through. Um, clambering over a, a sailor's chest. I'm sure that wouldn't be put there when we were at sea. That's a, that's a hazard, even I can spot that. <laughs> yeah, that's more for keeping the public on the route. Cause we, we have a, a one-way route through Victory to make sure the public can see as much as possible. I mean, 85% of the ship's open to the public, so it is all about trying to keep making yeah. sure they come through safely oh, past a couple of uh, hammocks or cots um and we'll talk about those i think on the decks above let's carry on through here oh, we're heading towards the aft of the ship and we've come to the aft cockpit so you've down here you've got lots of high value stores at this end so we've got lieutenant stores captain stores surgeon stores surgeon's office there's a the rooms have all got bars on the windows and everyone commonly mistakes this for a prison cells or brigs. We don't have a brig or a prison cell on Victory. We have iron bars we can chain them to on the, up on the upper gun deck. But it's allow, to allow air and light to circulate through the ship. As we said, we're below the waterline um, and you need to keep the, the stalls dry. Um, we've also got purser's office, purser's supplies and supplies for the marines. So what sort of high value stores are we talking about? Well, officers bring their own... Uh, furniture, their own supplies yeah. um, on board, so they'll be storing those down here. Um, and then obviously the surgeon's got his medicines which need to be locked up. We also have one that's got an extra bar across it, locking it, um, which goes straight to the aft of the ship. And that's where your spirit stores would be. Ah. So, so you're going to have a marine guard down here at all yeah. times as well. Yeah, I'd be spending a bit of time in there, I think. <laughs> um, and then there's a pretty gruesome table here. What's going on here? Yeah, so the sick bay in normal operations is up on the upper gun deck where it's light and breezy. Um, but in battle, obviously that's in the way of the guns. So in battle, the surgeon comes all the way down, four levels down to the, here, the all-up deck. He sets his table out up here in front of us, sets his tools out. And in battle, the injured men come down. There's a set of stairs to the left of us. The men would come down those ladders there and they would literally line up on this, in front of this table and it's first come, first served. There's no real triage, it is first come, first served. And you'll be put onto the table, you'd have your operations, whatever treatment you need done on the table while everyone else is standing there watching, waiting for their turn. Um, and then you'd either be sent back up, depending on how serious the wound is, or you'd be sent back over to the side to hopefully survive the battle. Uh, I should just say that the, um, uh, the surgeon's tools are laid out in front of me, and to give you a sense of what we're looking at here, uh, one of them is a chisel, and the other one is a saw. 
So um, not perhaps the delicateness that you might suspect. What are these curvy ones? <laughs> uh, those are urethra probes. So oh, if your sailors oh. have been in port and have picked something up, uh, they shouldn't have uh, disease infection wise. They're long thin spikes that will be inserted through the urethra, just for gentlemen obviously. Uh, they'll be used to scrape it out. I mean, growing up in Portsmouth, so, I mean, I first came on Victory in 74, and we've always had sailors' tails growing up and stuff. But when I was a young teenager, the threat was always the umbrella, which was what later it developed into, which was an umbrella-type system that was inserted up. The umbrella's opened, and then that scrapes everything out, and then you'll have mercury sulphide injected afterwards just oh, to... Goodness, so, yeah, but we've got to remember we are very civilised by 1800. We know that alcohol thins the blood. Um, so you're not given a shot of rum or a strong drink to drink before an operation. Um, if you survive and it's scabbed over and clotted, um, you might get some rum later on, but you won't get any pain relief before an operation. Um, we do carry small amounts, or some of the ships carried small amounts of laudanum on board, um, but you wouldn't use that on a dying man, which seems harsh, but it would be a waste of resources. Um, and also for an amputation, um, it's easier to do an amputation because it's a clean cut. You're in control of the, the wound rather than trying to repair fragments and lots of smaller bits of damage. By doing a clean cut, you've got one clean wound that's easier to maintain um, and repair. And we're actually sewing the blood vessels up after the operation. We're not cauterizing them at this stage in history um, and we're not dipping them in tar. So very civilized by 1805. Um, so using silk thread to sew the blood vessels up. Mm. And that had its own problems as well, though, didn't it? You could get bits of thread caught. Yes, yeah, and uh, when Nelson had his right arm amputated, um, uh, one of the... So the, the blood vessels are used to dangle out from underneath, outside of the stump, and they're used to help provide the drains. Um, and one of those got infected effectively with Nelson, and he gave it a sharp, cut, a sharp couple of tugs until it finally came out after a couple of months, and the pain that he'd been suffering from it went within a couple of days. Mm. Um, Nelson, when he had his arm amputated, now how much bravado there is in this or not, um, he said the worst thing about his amputation wasn't the amputation itself, it was the fact that the sharp knife to do the initial cuts and cut through the tendons was cold. <laughs> um, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be complaining about that, I think. <laughs> um, fantastic. Well, um, that's given us a lovely little little tour of these, these lower decks. Now, I think we should go and find out a little bit about um, the work that's being done on, on here. Okay. Off we go. Um, Rosie, so we're back up on the Orlop deck and you were going to tell me a little about the conservation work that's going on these, these lower decks. Yes, so um, this area we're looking at is a really, let's say, soggy area. So it's um, directly below um, the middle gun deck starboard entrance where rain just comes in because mm. it's open. And uh, we're, But we also get the southwesterly prevailing uh, wind and rain blowing in this direction as well. So the whole starboard side does suffer. Um, but also um, water can come in not just down the way but sideways through the joints wow. in, the, in the planking. Um, so basically um, we've got areas here where over time we've just had a lot of water coming in and that has encouraged fungus to grow. And then that in turn weakens the timbers and allows death watch beetle to um, eat the timbers. So we have some pieces uh, which the conservators are working on at the moment um, where they're stripping off paint so we can see the amount of rot present um, 
What we're going to do during um, phase one of our overall conservation works is we're removing external planking, but we're also strengthening the ship um, by repairing the structural pieces of the ship um, that support the hull. So we're sort of doing not only planking, but also structural pieces. We're going to either stitch in new pieces or maybe remove whole areas. We're, we're going to save as much as we can. This Orlop deck, um, a lot of the beams are a mixture of 18th and 19th century. So this is one of the oldest parts of the ship. So of course, we're going to remove as little as possible. Yeah. But anything that is crumbling will get replaced. <laughs> yeah, I can hear banging going on. How many, how many of your team are working on this at the minute? Um, I think we have a couple of conservators on at the moment. Um, they have these tented areas to um, protect the public from what we're doing is removing paint, which has years and years of layers of paint, which has mm. lead in it. Yeah. So we can't obviously let the public anywhere near any lead. So they're tented off and they're safely being removed. And then we can see what the wood is like underneath. And do those layers of paint tell you anything about the history of the ship as well? They absolutely do. Thank you for asking. So they have different pigments that have different dates. So we had a study done by um, University of Lincoln in 2014 and they did sample little areas throughout the ship. Um, one of the air areas on this Orlop deck had a French ultramarine and that pigment was only available from 1824 onwards. So we knew that that layer of paint must be post 1824 mm -hmm. and was also an expensive pigment. So because this was a first rate ship, they didn't mind spending the money. So that shows they, even in store areas, they were still happy to spend money on expensive pigments just to paint. But they were painting it a French colour. I'm not sure that would have gone down very well. It, it, <laughs> uh, you can't say it's a French colour, it's just um, the French pigment I see. Uh, used in any, any paint in Europe. <laughs> So down here, challenging because of all the water and all of the paint. Um, and I yeah. suppose all, you have a different, different conservation challenges as we go up through the ship. And we're going to come back and talk to you, Rosie, yep. a bit more uh, once we've gone up onto the gun decks. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. If you're interested in naval history and the Battle of Trafalgar in particular, please check out the Mariner's Mirror podcast's YouTube channel where you can see how we used artificial intelligence and digital artistry to bring to life a plaster cast of Nelson's face that was taken from him before he died, resulting in an astonishing, and most people who've seen it say it's more than a little creepy, likeness of Nelson. Please make sure you find the Mariner's Mirror on Instagram and TikTok and the Society for Nautical Research on Facebook and Twitter. This podcast comes from both the Society for Nautical Research and Lloyd's Register Foundation. You can find the SNR at snr.org.uk where you can join up and please do so. It's entirely worthwhile. And the Lloyd's Register Foundation at hec.lrfoundation.org.uk where you can find out all about their many and fascinating projects to do with maritime heritage. That's it for now. Episodes two and three of our audio tour of HMS Victory are on their way very soon.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.